This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this weekend's episode of the Sunday Chops, in which I chat to Kate Nash OBE, the woman behind Purple Space, the world's only networking and professional development hub for disabled employees. We're chatting just ahead of the UN International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which is coming up on December the 3rd. Before I tell you about this chat, just want to encourage you, if you like what you hear or you've previously liked what you've heard on our podcasts, please make sure you subscribe via whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on and like. And if you've got a minute, head over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review us. It's really helpful in spreading the word. If you want to go one further and you like to listen to your podcast ad-free, I suggest that you head over to our Patreon page where you can sign up to do just that in return for a small contribution towards the work we do championing women and now with that admin out of the way back to today's podcast i chatted to kate about her new book positively purple build an inclusive world where people with disabilities can flourish how employees and colleagues can support disabled co-workers the power of positivity and why referring to disabled people as inspirational just for living their lives well needs to get in the bin really doesn't it kate is an enormously impressive woman not because she's disabled because she's absolutely bossing it in her field i hope you enjoy listening to her as much as i enjoyed chatting to her i'm joined by kate nash obe ceo and creator of purple space and author of the new book positively purple kate hi how are you doing very good thank you and lovely to be here well thank you very much for joining me According to the Purple Space website, you are a leading expert in networkology. Could you start, please, Kate, by telling me what is networkology? Ah, great question. Jen, it's a word that I invented and I looked around. I couldn't find any particular word that adequately described what I do and why I do it. Ultimately, what we do is support businesses to set up disability employee resource groups. And these are networks of individuals. They include people with disabilities as well as our wonderful allies, purple allies. So, yeah, networkology is the art and the science of bringing people together in a positive way to drive supportive change. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit more about Purple Space, what it is and how you came to set it up? Yeah, of course. So Purple Space is the world's only network of disability employee resource groups across the world. And, you know, we exist, we're seven years old. We have 200 organisations. They include organisations like Google, PwC, HSBC, GSK, as well as uh, local Uh, and public sector organisations. And we deliver leadership know-how 
in how to set up and to sustain really buzzy, exciting vehicles of change within businesses. And the reason I set it up, you know, the, the expression, Jen, the personal is political and it was ever thus. So, you know, I'm a, a woman in my in my late 50s. I've worked in disability and the politics of change forever. And what triggered me, I suppose, what goes right back to when I was 15 years old, when I first acquired arthritis. And I've worked with politicians and employers for decades and decades. And Purple Space, I suppose it's a it's a it's a love letter to the need for people with disabilities to network with each other and build our confidence and be out and loud and proud about our experiences and to support businesses to go further and go faster. I was interested in something that you just said because there's a chapter in your book about how disability is is a political experience. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I, you know, notice through the work that we do with thousands of people with disabilities that while, you know, there are things that impact on our lives in terms of the actualities of our disabilities, so whether we have dyslexia or arthritis or Parkinson's disease or a visual impairment or a mental health condition. There are certain things that employers can do and people can do around us to build a better, more accessible working world. But the beat that runs through our lives often is other people's stuff, as I call it. So the way in which other people react to us. Um, We talk often about the soft bigotry of low Mm. expectations. And it's not a phrase that we invented. We kind of stole it from the black American movement. But it beautifully summarises, I suppose, the insidious reaction often of others who perhaps feel that we can't be as brilliant as the next person, particularly in the context of work. So to your question, the politics, I suppose, of disability, why disability is a political experience is often because it's, it's not just about access to medical care. It's not just about access to good quality and accessible housing. It's about whether people are prepared to invest in us and whether we as citizens believe that people with disabilities deserve a level playing field. So that's why it's a political experience, because it's as much about our choice as people about what and who we invest in in this world. Why is it so important for anybody, but particularly people with disabilities, to network? We often learn about how we can navigate challenging experiences in life by talking to others who have had that experience. You know, we know that through grief. We know that in terms of divorce. We know that in terms of thinking about our life chances and career prospects, etc. You know, talking through a challenge or a problem with others often supports us to think about different options that we have to navigate. I've seen it extensively in my in my life and in my work, and I've worked with thousands of people with disabilities over the year. And although much of our life can be better supported by having the workplace adjustments from employers, the way in which we can climb up the greasy pole is often made the easier by chatting through our challenges with each other. So networking is a hugely valuable vehicle in making sense sometimes of difficult experiences, sometimes other people's stuff, and being a little bit braver to be who we are and bring our authentic selves to work. And we see that in terms of the women's movement, the black movement, LGBT+. If we talk to and network with each other, we can feel a little braver and more courageous. So the pandemic has sort of brought about a different way of working 
you know, I, I don't think we have returned fully to, to normality, as it were, you know, people, everyone going back to their offices. There are still a lot of people working from home. There are different groups who working from home will really suit, like mothers, for example, who have to go and pick up children or need need that little bit of flexibility. Like It's actually really useful to be working from home for some purposes. And I would imagine for people with disabilities, there will be circumstances under which it's a lot better to work from home. Maybe you need specialist kit that you have there or it's easier to access. But then working from home, so there are problems with working from home as well which will mean that those groups who are more likely to work from home will be impacted by as you say networking very important it's important to be in the room I think sometimes just in order to access opportunities and people you know just to have those moments with people where you you make yourself known to to the hierarchies. And so I wondered if you could tell me what your thoughts are on a sort of post-pandemic world or workplace rather and how that might impact on people with disabilities. Yeah, and I love your question, Jen. So we've, we've seen winners and losers when it comes to the kind of hybrid model post-pandemic. Um, and yet, nonetheless, there are a significant number of people with disabilities who have really valued the opportunity to work remotely and to be able to work in a way that suits them best, whether that's flexible working, whether it's, as you say, having better kit and all of your, you know, your office station set up in a way that it's accessible for you, whether that's about you know, raised desks or better chairs or some of the software that we need, etc. You know, post-pandemic, I suppose we, you know, what we hear, our narrative, the Purple Space members, what we're hearing from disability employer resource groups is a need to preserve and protect and promote some of the best features now of hybrid working. As you say, it is incredibly important still to have that face-to-face. And, and most of our company members are needing to build that in there are of course one or two that pretended that the pandemic never happened and that we can all go back to that post-pandemic world well we don't believe that's possible and and i think it's the two the two key benefits i think is one not having to travel quite as much i mean that doesn't impact all disabled people but for those with mobility challenges it certainly is a fantastic gain but equally it's those unseen what I call transition moments, simple things like getting dressed, simple things like closing down the day, you know, and navigating your way back into your personal life. And we do hear story after story after story of people who have reclaimed aspects of their personal lives and time that they can usefully spend elsewhere in a way that perhaps non-disabled people haven't. So, yeah, we're hoping that, that, that companies still hang on to those best features. It's interesting because those are things that didn't even occur to me. I mean, travel is really obvious, actually, now you've pointed it out, of course. It's interesting to think about the things that don't occur to you as a as an able-bodied person that would be a, a huge challenge potentially for other people, which kind of brings me to my next point, I guess, which is about your book and some of the issues that you raise in it. And I wanted to come back to this um, soft bigotry of low expectation that you talked about before, because I thought that was really interesting. There would be people, I think, who, you know, mean very well and want to be supportive, 
but possibly don't think about how condescending or patronising maybe some of their attitudes or, or opinions that they express might be. And one of the things that comes up time and time again is this idea of being inspiring. Like disabled people are somehow inspiring just by virtue of, of existing and we talk about it loads when we talk about things like the Paralympics, and I always sort of wince a bit and think, like, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable. I wondered if you could talk to me a little bit about that and the way sometimes people interact with disabled people or, or the things that they say that perhaps they need to stop saying. <laughs> I love it. And I'm chortling as I hear you speak, Jen, and I love it that you're calling out this very natural you know, human behaviour, dare I say it. And that's one of the most challenging aspects, I suppose, about people with disabilities' lives because it, it can often be a very human thing to react with sadness or disappointment or, you know, or, or fear. And, you know, these, these things are very human reactions, but they can have a really big impact and a deleterious impact on the way other people receive us and believe about our worth and whether we get that job or that next job. So inspiration, a few thoughts on inspiration. The wonderful Simon Minty, a comedian now of Gogglebox fame, and he and I have you know, we've been shooting the breeze for years, as many of my contemporaries, about this word inspiration. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we do just simply by crossing the road or getting up and getting dressed can inspire people. And what's that about is that very often people cannot begin to contemplate how they would deal with some of the challenges that we face. So I have long-term arthritis and hips and knees replaced and my hands work awkwardly and mobility is challenged. You know, Simon, he's a small person and people cannot think about how they would navigate life as a small person. And therefore, it's not uncommon, therefore, to be the recipient of people feeling inspired around us. But Simon's tip is always to say, what are you inspired to do? You know, if you're moved by another person's life uh, and you you feel that for the grace of God go I or, or, or you know thank goodness that's not me I think we have a duty as individuals to say well what am I going to do about this what one thing could I do so what if you if you are in employment what can you do to support people better what can you do to to build better internship programs or mentoring programs etc so yeah, it's it. You're touching on Jen, the very natural, though hugely challenging aspect of other people's pity, uh, and it's it's about how do we notice that, and how do we call out our own default responses to other people's challenge? Because that must, I presume, feed into things like this this soft bigotry of low expectation that you're talking about. If if we're kind of like, oh, you know, did, didn't you do well kind of thing, then presumably that feeds into this kind of attitude of, well, you know, that promotion it, uh, might be a bit much for them. Yeah, 100%. I tell the story in the book, it's the beat of the book, um, of my, my dear mum, who, you know, she's in her mid-80s. Thank goodness we still have her in the family um, and I have full permission to tell this story I tell the joke that I pay a little top up to her pension um, I don't but it's my way of saying we were at peace with mm. this story 
Um, but in the book, I share the story at 15 years old. I was then in and out of a wheelchair, in and out of hospital. I couldn't really walk. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't even imagine going to university. And she watched me. I was sitting at the kitchen table looking at newspapers back in the day when we looked at newspapers to scenario scan, you know, what jobs are out there and what do we want to be when we grow up? And she looked at me and said, Kate, it would be nice one day if you could get a little job. Oh, I didn't hear the word job in that sentence. That was the stretch target. Mm. Uh, I only heard the word little. And, you know, it's she was my mum. You know, she there was no such thing as legislation. There was no such thing as my right to university. She was making it easier for me to see the world was going to be challenging. Yeah. So she cotton-walled it. Yeah. It's a go-to human thing, mm. Jen. It's a go-to. I don't think it's a sign of people who are bad at all. I choose very deliberately not to believe that. And that's what Positively Purple is all about. You know, there, there's a notion of microaggressions often that people face. You know, I've, I hear a lot of people with disabilities who choose not to badge the reactions of others as microaggressions. It's simply people who don't understand the normality of living with a disability and that you it takes a while to make sense of get used of and to yeah to have fun life is naughty and challenging and wicked and funny and full of the irony with living with disabilities you learn so much not just of yourself about what makes other human beings ticks and that's the stuff that you live and learn as you go forward So I want to talk to you a little bit about your book, the name Positively Purple in particular, because positively is quite a key aspect of, of it for you, right? It is. It's my default personality. You know, I make no apology. I am a pretty optimistic individual. I can't do much about that. But I also see it in abundance in terms of the community that we work with. Purple is increasingly the colour that is most synonymous with disability, a bit like the rainbow flag is so synonymous with the experience of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. So too is purple, often synonymous with disability. So, you know, positively purple is really, I suppose that, you know, summation of the necessity to call out the positive experiences because there's so much negativity. You know, you, you Google disability or in Twitter or be prepared to be gloomy within seconds because it's all about the challenge and not enough disabled people and employers are not making the right adjustments and there's lack of jobs. And while some of those truths exist, it doesn't call out the funny and the ironic and the positive and what you learn about yourself, what you learn about others. So that's what the book about is capturing the, the positivity in our lives. I've listened to you speak about this before. And one of the things that you talked about was this idea of positivity and that, you know, the, the negativity kind of becomes a bit self-perpetuating. If you're always highlighting the negative, where are you going to find those representations of positive experience? Which I thought was an interesting point because I absolutely completely agree with you. But on the other hand, it is still important to challenge, do you not think? 100%. And it's about, for me, balance. You know, I think those allies or indeed people with disabilities who feel that you change the world simply by reposting a negative story about our lives. You know, we do nothing. If you keep on doing what you keep on doing, you'll keep on getting 
what you keep on getting. So, yeah, my, you know, my book, my experiences, the work that we do is not for one minute about uh, masking or not challenging uh, the difficult experiences. It's simply about redressing the balance. Because, you know, if it's hard for people with just dis- people without disabilities to believe that we have a contribution in life, um, it's going to be really hard for them to picture our promotion. It's going to be really hard for them to picture the necessity to have a workplace adjustment uh, or to even have that first job at all. So, yeah, it's, it's simply about noticing now the necessity to redress that balance. Positively Purple is sort of like a handbook almost for employers to to sort of help them build more inclusive workplaces. Can you tell me a bit more about the book? The book is largely autobiographical. So it is the story of my life and it's the story of the creation of Purple Space and the wonderful growth of the community of employee resource groups around the world as well as the purple light up the movement uh, that's it's a mark of respect on the 3rd of december but woven throughout the book i've chosen to offer lessons to learn both in terms of employers having worked extensively for decades with the employers communities a little smorgasbord of ideas that they can try and equally it's about lessons to learn and practical action for people with disabilities so think so employers it's things like having an elegant easy to use very visible workplace adjustment policy and process um, it's incredibly easy now for employers to to get flexible working to get the parental leave that they uh, should rightly have but it's still quite difficult for people with disabilities to access workplace adjustments so it's about making it easier for people with disabilities to, 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 to access an adjustment. And then things like storytelling. Story, stories change the world. You know, whether it's podcasts like this, Jen, or the written world, we know that we can be challenged to think differently. So employers deliberately investing in storytelling, their own storytellers, is a hugely valuable way of changing the world. So, yeah, that's what the book is about. It's about little things that employers and allies can do to build a better and a more accessible working world. Okay. So, I mean, to a certain extent, employers are legally obliged to do certain things. So, you know, there will be tips that they can pick up from, from reading the book, but they also do have some legal obligations. What about colleagues of people with disabilities? What can people do to help their colleagues, as you put it, build confidence from the inside out? Well, you know, colleagues ultimately are representing their own business. So they too need to, I suppose, upskill themselves about how, you know, how can you be a better manager? What does it mean to be an inclusive leader, for example? Um, So some of the things that they can do is to, I think, one, uh, always display that you're willing to be an ally. You know, not not just in terms of different community groups, but make sure that your narrative is going to be an ally, that you're you're pepper with your language and your stories in terms of why you're an ally, uh, what you're doing to support people with disabilities. So so be very clear about your intent as a leader. As colleagues, you know, I would certainly weave in 
to the way in which you uh, are a manager, whether that's appraisal once a year or three times a year, whatever your your business uh, insists that you do in terms of appraising your people, you know, maybe you could routinize a statement at the end of that appraisal to say widgets, my company, we believe you know, very much in recruiting from diverse communities. And that means making adjustments if people have a disability. So, you know, is there anything that we can do to support you to get everything that you need? Even if you think that person doesn't have a disability, you'll never know if they are struggling. So if you could routinely build into your narrative that you're an inclusive ally and you want people to ask if they're struggling, that can be a very powerful way of helping people if they are struggling. So I just wanted to ask you about the UN International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which takes place on December the 3rd, Purple Space and Beyond Mark with Purple Light Up. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and, and how we can get involved if we'd like to? International Day of Persons with Disabilities on the 3rd of December. Not all employers were celebrating it back in the day when it was invented in the 80s. And purple light up is our mark of respect. It's noticing that the color purple is synonymous with disability. And it's a celebration of the economic contribution of people with disabilities. So lighting up purple, it's not just about light bulbs. Some companies that are able to do that do light up their buildings. But others that have more sustainable policies are choosing other interesting, imaginative and creative ways. So you could dress up purple, do a selfie post on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's a wonderful, simple, beautiful and individualised example about how you can celebrate. You can change your homepage on your website, you can change your Twitter handle if you're a company, or you can light up your building. And mostly it's about showcasing what you're doing. So it's not just frivolous. What we often say, all fur coat and no knickers. (laughs) It's not. It's about deliberately showcasing why you're an ally. You know, say it, call it out. If you're a company, maybe just say that you're a business that takes purple talent seriously and maybe share something that you've done that year. Kate, your book Positively Purple is available now, I presume from all good bookshops and online. Yep. 100%. And where can we follow you on social media if we want to keep up to date with what you're doing or any events around the book and things like that? Definitely go on to LinkedIn and connect with us, both Purple Space and myself. And then on Twitter, you can link with us at My Purple Space or with myself, uh, Kate Nash OBE. So we'd love you to connect. Come and follow us. Come and say hi. We'll connect back with you. Lovely. Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Standard Issue for All Women.